Chapter One of Marion: The Story of an Artist's Model. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Marion: The Story of an Artist's Model by Winifred Eaton. Chapter One in that family there are eleven children and more they come see that little one she is trésoli oui trésoli n'est pas the father he come from england about ten year ago he was just young man maybe twenty-seven or twenty-eight year old and he have one little foreign wife and six little children they were all so cold they were not used to this climate in canada my wife and i we keep the little hotel at otelaga and my wife she take all those little ones and she warm them before the big all stove and she make for them the good french pea soup mamma had sent me to the corner grocer to buy some things monsieur thibault the grocer was talking and to a stranger I felt ashamed and humiliated to hear our family thus discussed. Why should we always be pointed out in this way, and made to feel conspicuous and freaky? It was horrid that the size of our family and my mother's nationality should be told to everyone by that corner grocer. I glared haughtily at Monsieur Thibault, but he went garrulously on, regardless of my discomfiture. The eldest, a boy, monsieur, he was just nine year old, and my wife, she call him Le Petit Père. His mother, she send him out to walk with all his little sisters, and she say to him, Charles, you are one big boy, almost one man, and you must take care of you little sisters. So when the wind she blow too hard, you will walk you on the side of that wind and put yourself between it and your sisters yes mamma ildit and we my wife and i we look out the window and me i am laugh and my wife she cry she have lost her only baby monsieur to see that little boy walk him in front of his little sisters open his coat comme ça monsieur and spread it with his hands to make one shield to keep the wind from his sisters the man to whom monsieur thibault had been speaking had turned around and was regarding me curiously i felt abashed and angry under his compelling glance then he smiled and nodding his head he said you're right she is pretty quite remarkably pretty i forgot everything else with my little light head and heart a-whirl I picked up my packages and ran out of the store. It was the first time I had been called pretty, and I was just twelve years old. I felt exhilarated and utterly charmed. When I reached home, I deposited the groceries on a table in the kitchen and ran up to my room. Standing on a chair, I was able to see my face in the oval mirror that topped a very high and scratched old chiffonier. I gazed long and eagerly at the face I had often heard Monsieur Thibault say was très jolie. 
which French words I now learned must mean pretty, quite remarkably pretty, as had said that Englishman in the store. Was I really pretty then? Surely the face reflected there was too fat and too red. My, my cheeks were as red as apples. I pushed back the offending fat with my two hands, and I opened my eyes wide and blinked them at myself in the glass. Oh, if only my hair were gold. I twisted and turned about, and then I made grimaces at my own face. Suddenly I was thrilled with a great idea, one that for the moment routed my previous ambition to some day be an artist, as was my father. I would be an actress. If I were pretty, and both that Frenchman and Englishman had said so, why should I not be famous? I slipped into Mama's room, found a long skirt, and put it on me, also a feather which I stuck in my hair. Then, fearing detection, I ran out on tiptoe to the barn. There, marching up and down, I recited poems. I was pausing to bow elaborately to the admiring audience, which, in my imagination, was cheering me with wild applause, when I heard Mama's voice calling to me shrilly, Marion! Marion! Where in the world is that girl? Coming, Mama. I divested myself hastily of skirt and feather, and left the barn on a run for the house. Here Mama thrust our latest baby upon me, with instructions to keep him quiet while she got dinner. I took that baby in my arms, but I was still in that charmed world of dreams, and in my hand I clasped a French novel, which I had filched from my brother Charles's room. Charles, at this time, was twenty years of age and engaged to be married to a girl we did not like. I tried to read, but the baby would not keep still a minute. He wriggled about in my lap and reached a grimy hand after my book. Irritated and impatient, I shook him jumped him up and down, and then, as he still persisted, I pinched him upon the leg. He simply yelled. Mama's voice screamed at me above the baby's. If you can't take better care of that baby and keep him quiet, you shall not be allowed to paint with your father this afternoon, but shall sit right here and sew. A punishment that made me put down the book and amuse the baby by letting him pull my hair, which seemed to make him supremely happy, to judge from his chuckles and shouts of delight. After dinner, which we had at noon, I received the cherished permission and ran along to Papa's room. Dear Papa, whose gentle, sensitive hands are now at rest, I can see him sitting at his easel, with his blue eyes fixed absently upon the canvas before him. Papa, with the heart and soul of a great artist, Painting, painting, as he would say, with a grim smile. Pot-boilers to feed my hungry children. I pulled out my paints and table and began to work. From time to time I spoke to Papa. Say, Papa, what do I use for these pink roses? Try rose matter, white and emerald green. A little Naples yellow, answered Papa patiently. Papa... What shall I use for the leaves? Oh, try making your greens with blues and yellows. From time to time I bothered him. By and by I tired of the work, and getting up with a clatter, I went over and watched him, 
he was painting cool green waves dashing over jagged rocks from a little sketch he had taken down at Lachine last summer. "'Tell me, Papa,' I said after a moment, "'if I keep on learning, do you think I will ever be able to earn my living as an artist?' "'Who? What, you?' "'Oh.' Absently, Papa blew the smoke about his head, gazed at me, but did not seem to see me. He seemed to be talking rather to himself, not bitterly, but just sadly.' better be a dressmaker or a plumber or a butcher or a policeman there is no money in art end of chapter 1 recording by james k white chula vista